Is it not cool to know that we serve a God that like we can cry out to, and Scripture says, cry out to me because I am everything? You know, even when his people ask, he said, who do we, who do we tell him you are? What did he respond with? I am. I'm everything you'll ever need. I'm everything you'll ever desire. I'm everything. I'm the solution to every problem you got. I'm the, I'm the, I'm, I'm everything. So here's what I want you to do. Think about all the names. If you've ever been with us on a Wednesday night study and we did the names of God, or if you just know the basic names of God, cause we're all at different levels. You know, that's one, that's another thing I kind of love. Like you can cry out. Different names by what you know. You know, when, when our kids are little babies, we get excited that they say, Dad, Dad. You know, they ain't got a clue what they're actually calling you. It's just a noise that they make, and we make it sound like they know our names personally. <laughs> but some of us are spiritual babes like that. As we mature, we get closer, we learn more of the names of God and, and all that. So I want you to think, just take two seconds. Think of a name of God that you know. You cry out to Jehovah Jireh, I mean, Jehovah, whatever it is. I don't want to throw them out there because I want you to pick your own, right? All right, ready? On the count of three, I want everybody to just shout out whatever they call it. Whatever they cry out to. Scripture says, cry out to me and I will be heard, right? So one, two, three. Does that not just feel good? Huh? Does that not feel good No, we can call out to God all the time? All, all, everything this morning is just so lined up for exactly what Paul just now wrote, you know, in this letter that Caroline just read. So uh, I want to start out with where my brain went this week and I'm going I'm to hand my man card over. Um, so Cliff, if you need to hold my man card, it's all right. But, uh, you know, there's, there's certain shows that certain ladies like to watch more than certain men like to watch. And there's certain things about those shows that if we were willing to turn in our man card, we might admit that we like to watch too. And I don't ask anybody else to, but I'll, I'll be the one for today. So there's this show called Outer Banks. I know none of you men have seen it, but maybe a lot of you ladies that don't raise your hand, man. What's wrong with you? I'm turning in my man card. You don't have to turn in yours. But here's how it was pitched to me for, for watching it. If, if you don't know, I love to just sit on the couch with my wife and Eden and watch a, a show. Now that law school's going on, sometimes we don't get to do that, but that's just our, our relax into the daytime before going to bed and whatnot. So anyway, she taught me in a, a while ago to, to do an Outer Banks, and my sister and a bunch of other people had, had watched it and recommended it. And Anyway, so I, I look at it, and I'm like, man, that's like one of them 90210 shows when we were all teenagers like that. It just don't look good. And then she pitches it with, you know, they're hunting for treasure. And I was like, ooh, that's where I was at. I was like, man, I got like a little boy still inside of me, you know. So I'm like, what do you mean we get to hunt for treasure? Like, that sounds exciting and cool. And it's pirate treasure of that kind of because it came off of a ship. So in my head, it's, it's pirate treasure. In real life, I think it was based off the Spanish Armada treasure that they found. But So anyway, I, I start watching this show and, and how calculated these guys had to get and gals that are in there. To find this treasure was just awesome. And but the funny thing was when they find bits and pieces that, that were significant or even the main treasure, it was right under the noses of people the whole time. It was right there. And in real life, the Spanish Armada treasure that they really did find really wasn't that deep. It was something anybody could swim to who had the ability to swim in a, you know, a normal pool uh, could have reached it. But it was right there where people fished. It was right there where people swam, right there where people surfed, right there where people... And it just hit me. I'm like, how much treasure is right here that we're missing all the time? Amen. Right? So this morning I called it true treasure. Because stories like looking for gold and silver. And, and I even read stories about people finding like a 1970 Star Wars box, you know, in their grandfather's attic or something other when they were cleaning out a house and they traded it in for all this money and all this stuff. But, but all those treasures that we find have a monetary value. But when we're looking for real treasure, 
And go back to what Paul just wrote in, in, in this letter. Colossians chapter 2, kind of stealing from verses 2 and 3. Thinking about our, our, what we're seeking shouldn't be silver and gold. Our quest should be precious gems, wealth. From what does he say? A full knowledge of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's word, it's safe to say, is a treasure chest. And if we're not willing to do the planning, and if we're not willing to do the digging, and if we're not willing to go to certain extremes, there's so much treasure we're going to miss. More so than that, what Paul is saying and what he's trying to get through to this, this early church that's getting ready to be combated or already really being combated with some stuff from the world is that the treasure in Scripture is Christ. So when you dig into scripture, the more you learn about Christ, the more treasure you're actually finding. So the, the, the hidden treasure of God is that we get to know Jesus, that we get to know him personally, that we get to have our own name to call out, you know, with him. I wanted my own nickname for so long and, and now I've got two and a half uh, nieces and nephews going with it and I've corrupted some of Jeremiah's kids to go with it. Um, you know, but, but I always wanted like this nickname. So my, my cousin who's older and wiser than me, when, when he became an uncle, he got all his nephews and nieces to call him bones. And I was like, now he is skin and bones. He's about six foot three, 150 pounds. Um, you know, so I was like, I always pick on him about that, but I was like, that sounds like a really cool nickname. So I wanted a nickname. So the only thing I could get Hudson to say was unk. So I have a cool nickname too called unk. But you got to be special to call me that, right? So it just makes you think, like, the more we get to know God and the closer we get with him and the more we get immersed in his word and led by his spirit, we learn the names of God. And we learn how close we can get in the truths and the attention with God. So the psalmist writes this, before we jump into this thing verse by verse. It says, I rejoice at your word as the one who finds a great treasure. When's the last time you dug into God's word and found a great treasure? Personally, I'm not talking about you came to church and I spoon fed you a treasure. I'm not even talking about you came on a Wednesday and somebody else spoon fed you a treasure. I'm talking, when was the last time you were at your house or in your car, whatever you do, your Bible study, office building, whatever. And you dug deep enough. You sought out deep enough. You planned enough to find a treasure in God's word. And not only did you, you, you ever notice like in these treasure stories where like they find something and you, you like you, you kind of hold on to it for your own in the beginning. Right? Am I right? You ever notice that? Like they always, well, we can't tell nobody that we found this. But what happens like within six days? Sometimes six hours, depending on the show. What happens? Everybody knows. Why? Because when you find a great treasure, you can't keep it to yourself. Right? No matter how cool it is, no matter how great it is, no matter how much fear you have of even losing it, because that's what sometimes it is, you can't keep it to yourself. So then the second question then is not only when's the last time you dug into scripture and found something of great treasure of hidden value for yourself. When's the last time you shared it with somebody? When's the last time you let them get a hold of it? Because if you watch any of these stupid shows, when one person finds out, everybody finds out. And you guys are in the South, so you know how fast that spreads. Right? Let's start spreading some good gossip instead of some bad. Right? Let's start spreading some hidden treasure. Rather than some of the trash in this world, right? So as you dump into this thing and we start digging, maybe a question just to ask yourself at the beginning. Are you even eager to discover the treasures of truth in God's word? And if you are, are you willing to dig into it? So Paul says this, and I guess you could kind of call point number one, God's mystery. Which goes all the way back to verse 26, by the way, of chapter one. Some of you are like, all the way back, that was last week, four verses. Yeah, I know. 
It says the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to the saints. So we put the chapters and verses into these things, right? Don't, don't think Paul was writing and said, oh, chapter two. Like we put that in there. So this is all feeding back from this same idea. You know, it's, it's all coming from this mystery and this, this excitement that's there. And Paul is saying that as Christians, as, as believers, as members of the body, we are the channel in which the presence and the power of the indwelling Christ flows into the rest of the world. So if we want the rest of the world to get the treasure we got, then it's through our presence and our power through Christ flowing inside of us that gets this. And to prove this, he starts it in two ways in verse one. So verse one, it says this chapter two, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you. Now you got to ask, what is Paul really struggling with? We know he is where prison. So when he writes, is he saying this prison cell is a struggle? Is he saying you knuckleheads are a struggle? Is he thinking of other, you know, other churches and, and some of the things that they've gone to? I think as he's talking about this struggling, cause he's about to say what he's doing. He's talking about praying for these people, right? I think Paul, when we break down these words, by the way, which we have to do in a minute. So I'm going to give you two ways. And then I want to break down the words. So two ways this happens. when We talk about the presence and the power of the indwelling, indwelling Christ flowing through us. It happens through our prayers and through our presence. So our prayers, not only for ourselves, but for the outside world and our presence in the outside world, but our presence because of his presence being inside of us. Did we get all that right without being too mixed up. So verse one, he elaborates on this thing and he's saying, like, I'm struggling on your behalf. Why? Because I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you and I'm praying for those that are at Laodicea who I've never even met face to face. Paul's getting so deep here. And the word he uses, here's where I want to make sure we understand. The word, con- some of your translations have conflict, by the way. If you had the word conflict or you had the word struggle in verse one, the Greek word that we grab from is agony. So it's the same word he uses in chapter one, verse 29, when he says, I'm struggling. It's the same word used in chapter four, verse 12, when he talks about another guy struggling in prayer for them. And when you look up this thing and break it down even further, it means a strenuous activity, deep and earnest. When's the last time you got a struggling activity or strenuous activity? Sorry. When's the last time you got a strenuous activity in your prayer life? I'm not talking about like, God, please bless the food. Amen. Now we can eat it. And we're spiritual because we prayed before we ate it. I'm not even talking about like praying over like, God, please let me pass the test that I studied for. Or if you got pulled over, God, please let him not write me a ticket this time. When's the last time like you had strenuous activity, you, you were agonizing. Have you ever agonized in prayer? Maybe that's a way to ask. Have you ever agonized in prayer? It, it says, and what Paul is getting at right here, please get this. Paul sees the spiritual realm on a whole different level. He's saying the spiritual powers that are getting ready to come against you guys. I'm willing to wrestle with them. Like I'm willing to really throw down and get real in this thing. On a spiritual level. Now, here's what's awesome. Because we as men, I'll get my man card back now, right? Like, we as men, we're ready to throw down at the drop of a hat if we need to, right? A real man, right? Now, some people might not, but, you know, a real man. Man, I'll, I'll sling, I'll throw hands, you know, we'll we'll take bullets. And, and all those make-believe stories that we make up because we know 98% of the time we never actually have to do any of them, right? But it sounds good. It's our man card, right? Paul's saying to that extreme in the physical He's willing to go to in the spiritual. I'm willing to, to literally wrestle and agonize and strenuously get acti- a- strenuous get activized. 
That's a made up word. And I want to be proud of it because it sounds really good combining a bunch of stuff that I learned this week. Right. We ought to get strenuous activized. Y'all should tweet that. I like that. Right. Strenuous activized. Huh? To come against you guys. T-shirt. Yep. Exerting himself through what intercession. But here's what else he's going into. And, and we'll, we learn this much later. But, but just for today, so you get it in your notes. He's also being receptive to listening to God in this time. We know this through Paul's later studies on prayer. The prayer is more than just crying out to God. It's also listening to God. So while you're agonizing in your prayer and begging for stuff and worried about stuff, have you ever had that moment where you just sat and listened also? And have you ever been brave enough where you don't move until God tells you to move? Waiting is probably one of the hardest things we can do. Is it not? Why? Because we are impatient. We live in a Burger King microwave society where we want it our way and we want it now. We want to be able to put my microwave is so smart. I can just push one button for certain times like it. It saves me a whole point zero two seconds of typing in those other buttons when I want to heat up stuff like even our microwaves are faster now than they've ever been. But what about when you're agonizing in prayer and God's just saying, wait, stop, don't move. I want you to keep listening to me. Have you gotten to that point in your prayer life where you can just sit and listen to God until God's answer comes? Paul may very well be because of some stuff he's going to say a little bit later. Paul may very well be even praying about what to pray about. You ever, you ever been one of those people say, man, I don't know what to pray about. How about you pray what to pray about? <laughs> Could you imagine being open and honest enough in your relationship with the Lord? Where you're like, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, but I'm asking you, what should I pray about? Like I have no, you ever thought about like if the disciples rather than falling asleep when Jesus said, how about you guys pray for me? Cause I know they didn't know what to pray. They didn't know what was going on. What if they would have just said, you know what, father, I have no clue what I'm supposed to be praying about. Will you tell me what to pray about so that I can pray for my brother, Jesus? We don't know what every person in this room goes through, right? So sometimes we just need the Lord to tell us like, what do we need to be praying for them? Because Paul's love, here's, here, here's what I really like, man. Paul's labor of love wasn't even limited to people he personally knew. He flat out says in this letter more than three times, like, you guys, Laodicea, like, I've never been to you guys. I never preached to you. I've never met you. But yet I'm this much in love with you because of what we're united through. Right? He, his, 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 his relationship, spiritual relationship, is extended to those that he hasn't even met physically and personally. And he's sitting in prison in Rome, but yet his love and his prayers, they're not confined to his conditions. How often you get in a little dark, selfish room and you just stop worrying about everybody else all around you. Isn't that easy to do? It's easy to do. We get a bunch of mess sometimes in our life and it's easy to just wrap ourselves around our own stuff and forget about other people. And what I love here is, is Paul's in a literal, small, selfish, dark room physically, but yet he refu refuses to let that stop him from worrying about churches outside. Let, let me let me get real real with you right here, right? When's the last time you prayed for another church? Huh? I ain't asking when's the last time you prayed for Brookhaven. You better pray for us daily. We need it. When's the last time? Seriously, when's the last time you stopped and prayed for another church? When's the last time you prayed for somebody you ain't never met? Heck, let's get real honest. When's the last time you actually prayed for somebody you were close to? When's the last time you agonized in prayer about these groups of people? 
Why does it take certain stuff in our lives to make us finally do what we're supposed to have already been doing? On every level of our walk. Verse 2. Not only is Paul talking about this prayer for people he never met, for people he's never been with, people he's only heard about. Verse 2, he states his purpose of the prayer. Look at what it says. Talking about a church being knit together for the love of Christ and the love of one another, right? That their hearts may be encouraged. Who doesn't want to be around somebody who's encouraging them? You realize the gift, the gift of encouragement some people have? You, you ever been around somebody like that? They could be talking about anything, but what they're talking about is so encouraging, like you feel encouraged afterwards. Huh? Like they could be talking about how to make chicken noodle soup. But when they're done telling you about how to make chicken noodle soup, like you ain't never cooked nothing in your life, you're ready to go make chicken noodle soup on your own. And you think you can do it because they encouraged you enough. Right? That's the kind of, like Paul says, I, I want their hearts to be encouraged. How? I want them to have been knit together in love. Go back to verse 26 of chapter 1. I said it last week. Like Part of the mystery that's blowing people's mind is this is no longer 2468. Who do we appreciate? The Jews, the Jews, the Jews. This is now everybody. And they're, they're now grabbing a hold of this. Like, hold on. We are all invited into this body. And this is most likely a, I don't know, 85 to 100% Gentile church. So these people are now grabbing a hold of the fact that we are all knit together into the same body. And this is going to be a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Like it's a mystery. Another part of the mystery is understanding like there's nothing else you have to do to get this relationship with Christ. And, and maybe that's like, well, hold on, let me not get there yet. Let me not get there yet. I got to finish the verse. Hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, what's the mystery? Christ. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be knit together in love. He wants them to get the riches of the assurance and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That they will be encouraged. They will be knit together in love. Now, Paul in a lot of his letters already talked about like the church being a body, right? So you think about all like the body parts. And then he says that the body parts are all knit together. How are they knit together? Through? Through love. Right? That's what he says. Through love. Together in love. So, so what if like love, we're all the body parts, but what if love is like the ligaments and the, what else is there? Where's Emily? What is it? Tendons. Yeah, the tendons. Tendons and ligaments. I asked her because this applies directly to something recently in my life, right? So I had a knee injury. Don't have no idea what it was because I don't go to the doctor, right? We could call it. I had a list of stuff like PCL, ACL, and then she gave me like 25 more L's and CL's to go with it. And so I just told people I tore them all at once. You're going to make up a good story. You make it good, right? Like I just shredded all of them. They're not even there anymore, right? And, and I'm still walking. So I don't need them. Well, after a couple people saying, man, you might want to finally go to the doctor because you're limping around this shop like you're 100 years old and you can't even bend down to put on lug nuts anymore. I said, all right, you know what? I ain't going to no doctor, which sounds bad since I know some of y'all work in the medical field and I have my own sister in the medical field. I just don't do it, right? I said, but I do know a smart lady, so I will call her. Now, this is not permission for none of y'all to call her. <laughs> she got a job. She deserved to get paid for it, okay? This was pastor privilege. All right, so that's the disclaimer. I'm just giving you a disclaimer because the worst thing you need is when you're good at something to have everybody calling expecting something for free. All right. So that's a sermon on its own. I'm just sharing it with you. All right. I got my free thing because I'm the pastor. All right. So. 
pulling the, pulling the card, right? Anyway, I call, I say, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what I think by looking at a bunch of charts and trying to figure out what part of my knees. Don't be laughing at me. Don't, what's wrong with you? I, I got a Google MD out of this thing. You know what I'm saying? She says, I'm going to give you some exercises. So she gives it to me. Man, I'm blown away after a week. My knee doesn't like literally hurt anymore. Like it is great. So I did what any smart person does when it stops hurting. You stop treatment. <laughs> Duh, who doesn't, right? I was like, it doesn't hurt anymore. I'm not doing the exercises anymore. And I'd gotten really good. Like I was doing the drills two to three times a day. Like I, w- I was into this thing because I'm not going to the doctor. So I'm going to solve this issue through Google MD and Emily and get this thing done, right? So I just stopped messing with it. And I had to send her another message of, hey, uh, it's back hurting again. And she said, you stopped doing the drills. And I said, yes, because there's no need to lie after you're caught red-handed. And I went back to doing the drills, and I keep doing them. And now you see me walking very fresh, nice, and I can put on lug nuts again and bend down. My point is this. When we have an issue, we need to address it. And I had an issue in my knee with some ligaments and some tendons, those things, right? And if I didn't address it, I probably wouldn't still be I probably would have actually had to schedule that doctor's appointment, right? And my, my, my thing is this. We talk about love in the church. That's, that's the ligament and the tendon, right? If we got an issue about love in the church, we need to address it. And Paul is saying, like, I want to encourage you to address any issues where you guys aren't knit together in love. He just wrote this previous letter to another church that was being destroyed because they weren't unified. And he's saying, like, don't let the outside world try to add stuff to the gospel. Don't let the outside world try to divide this group anymore. You guys stay united in love. And if there's an issue, address it. And keep addressing it. Don't be foolish like your pastor into thinking, oh, it's already solved. I'll just stop addressing the issue. No, you keep doing the drills. You keep exercising. You keep strengthening the love. Of the church. Do you understand that? We've got to be a body of believers that is being strengthened together. Like spending time together. Eating together. Providing for one another. Helping one another. Talking to one another. Reaching out to one another. Whatever it is to strengthen the love. Praying for one another. Earnestly agonizing. Strenuous activitized. I'm going to make up that word like six times as we go on. So it's all right. Right? Like all that stuff. Going into this thing. Paul says, I can't be with you guys, but I want to make sure you guys are encouraged. I want to make sure you guys are addressing and being knit together in love. And I want to make sure because of all this other stuff that you're experiencing the assurance of understanding. Love is what united this congregation. Encouragement is what allowed them to stay positive through all the outside forces that were coming against them. That gave them the confidence and the strength they needed to to hold to this truth and stay into it. And the complete understanding results... Complete understanding results from complete yielding. So understanding or insight refers to applying biblical principles to everyday life. Let me say that one more time. Understanding or insight, get us back on track. Understanding or insight refers to applying biblical principles to everyday life. Those outside the church, I'm going to give you a couple verses. Those outside the church, they couldn't do this because they didn't have a natural understanding of this. Why? Because here's what Corinthians says, chapter 1. Or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Paul's writing the church of Corinth and he's saying like, don't expect the outside world to be getting what you're getting because to them it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to them because they don't have it. In Romans chapter 8 he says, because those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. 
So if your mind is on things of the flesh, that means you're part of this outside group. Right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, they are darkened in their understanding. If you feel like you're darkened in your understanding, if you feel like you're of the flesh, if you feel like you're not getting some of the assurance of truth, maybe those are like red flag warnings. What do we call them Wednesday night with the men? The check engine light? Maybe the check engine light is on, and rather than trying to put a pretty picture of your girlfriend in front of it to cover it up, you need to address the issue that's there. Right? You, you need to go ahead and, or, you know, taking the bulb out. That's what some of us do. Um, not speaking from experience, I would never do that. That's foolishness. Right? Knowing the truth. Here, here's, here's how it goes even further now that Paul's getting into this. Not only knowing the truth, but acting on it. And if you guys are willing to know the truth and act on it, that leads to the full assurance of understanding. A quote I read yesterday, the longer you entertain what's not from God, the longer you'll postpone what is. The longer you entertain what's not from God, the longer you'll postpone what is. How many of us have stayed entertaining ideas that weren't from the Father for far too long? Hmm? Fleshly desires, darkened desires, outside desires. And because of that, how much have we missed out on? Taking it even deeper, here, here's like my worry and Paul is saying is a problem, and I will admit is a problem in the church. How many people in the church express doubt about their salvation? I talked to like a lot of people in the last 48 hours. I had a cousin die uh, Saturday morning, 2 a.m. in a car accident. So I'm talking to a lot of people, believers included. And I got a phrase multiple times of, man, I, I'm kind of worried about death. And I'm hearing this from a believer. And I'm like, what do you mean you're worried? Like, if you're worried, we need to address that issue now. Right? From believers, people who've been in church. So maybe the problem or the worry we could say is this. The primary problem is not a lack of knowledge. It's a failure to apply the truths we know. How can you not rest assured in your salvation? How can you not be confident what Christ has already promised you? And we fall into traps all the time of thinking, well, you know, I understand that Christ saved me, but I, I'm responsible for keeping my salvation. Are you? Because that's a horrible theology to have. Right? Because you're going to fail. One, two, if you're relying on anything else, it's not going to get the job done. Take it from the guy on the cross. Easiest example, right? What, what did he tell Jesus? Did he tell Jesus, oh, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I promise from here on out. For the next three hours of sitting on this cross, I'm not going to sin no more. Is that the promise he had to make him? Or what did he tell him? He said, I just want you to remember me, Jesus. That's it. So basically in that understanding, he's saying, I completely understand who you are. I screwed up for who knows how long. That's what got me on this cross. And I'm just asking that you remember me now. Right? There's no like promise of keeping his salvation no promise of behaving, no, no deal of God, I promise you I'm not going to mess up again. He, he doesn't have that opportunity. He's about to die. Right? But how many of us rely on this other stuff plus Christ to maintain our salvation? What Paul's getting into here with these people, guys, is because they're, they're, they're letting everybody preach Christ, but they're letting everybody preach Christ and then saying, you know what, Christ is good, but you need Christ and this. You need Christ plus this. No, Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Christ is everything. All I got to do is speak his name. You know what I'm saying? Like, all, all I need is that. I don't know if you I always think sometime back when we did uh, Resurrection Sunday, I don't know how many years ago, we had the little, the little red drops. Right? 
And, and we preached like all, all, it, all it really would have took was just one drop of his blood. But yet he decided to shed it all. One drop is all that was needed. But yet he was willing to shed it all for us. Why? Because he loves us that much. We need to get a richer understanding of a Christ-centered life. Christ being the, the mystery of God. But, but in John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, Scripture tells us that the mystery of God, Christ, has been revealed to man through God. So that means if I'm willing to dig into the treasure chest, it's no longer got to be a mystery. But we, we've fallen into a society where like knowledge has become number one. Knowledge is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Being smart enough isn't the answer. Truth and reality is Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the foundation for a Christian life. And true insight into God's way happens when we deepen this relationship. The Bible says that we find our completeness in Christ. We possess him. We're completed and fulfilled by him. And having that, we go out into the world and allow his spirit to indwell inside of us so that our presence and that power is seen in the rest of the world. So have you got that? Because Paul goes deeper now. I guess you call it point number two. Not only God's mystery, but now we get God's treasure. Here's what he says. Go to verse three. The supreme reality of God being revealed in Christ Jesus. Verse three says, in whom all hidden or in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In studying the Greek, anybody know the Greek word for treasure? Theseoros. I had to laugh because it's a treasure chest, a storehouse of great things. And my wife being a nerd, she likes to use a thesaurus probably. So I'm like, well, thesaurus then is a treasure chest of words. So that one's just for her since most of the other ones are for me. Right? <laughs> What's he saying, though? He's saying this treasure chest, this, this storehouse where a great treasure is kept, has the hidden mysteries in this thing. And what is it? He goes deeper. The treasure, the treasure of the kingdom is what? It's unrecognized and it's unknown because there's millions walking around it. But yet there are some. And, and I would say this. Maybe here's the problem. We can go back just a little bit before we get to the, to, the, to the answer to it, right? The bulk of unbelievers get caught up in pursuits of things they shouldn't even be pursuing. And therefore, maybe the bulk of those that worry, have doubt, and problem in the church maybe get caught up in pursuing things they shouldn't either. So if you're serious about spiritual matters, you've got to be willing to go a little deeper into this thing and see what Paul's saying, right? Many of us are yet to discover the full treasure of Christ. And Paul is saying, oh, dear friends, in Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So understand two words here. And you can even take this back from 126 as well when he talks about the mystery, right? The treasures of wisdom and the treasure of knowledge. Here's what knowledge is. Knowledge is the apprehension of truth. Wisdom is the application to life. You understand the difference? So one, one is, you can say it this way, knowledge is the data of truth, whereas wisdom is the ability to apply that truth. So it doesn't do any good to get one if you're not going to follow through with the second. Right? Y'all know people who are just too smart for their own good? Yes. Like we, we call it sometimes overqualified for certain jobs. Right? And in reality, they really are because they've never actually applied anything that they learned. So they would stink at that job. Right. Sometimes that's what actually happens. We get so much head knowledge and we've never applied any of it that we can't do what we were meant to do. And we do the same thing in Scripture. We get so much knowledge, but we forget to apply it. We have so many problems, yet we forget to pray. We worry so much about others, yet we forget to lift them up. 
It's why all of us got uncomfortable when I said, when's the last time you agonized in prayer for somebody else? When's the last time you agonized in prayer for yourself? Now that I even think about it, right? Remember this idea starts back in chapter one, where the, the church is being together and, 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 and understand why that's so important because that looked weird to the world forever. These two groups have been against one another. So when these two groups are coming together, that provokes some question, right? You don't know how strong your faith is until you get in a storm. And the world doesn't know how strong your faith is until you get in a storm. Because it's when you're in a storm and you start looking to Christ and saying, focused on Christ and able to deal with everything, that then the world looks at you and they wonder, how in the world can she deal with all that? How in the world can he go through everything he's going through and be okay with that? And as they look to you, they look and they see, man, he is focused on the treasures of Christ. So when they look to you, they're then looking to the Lord. What would Paul tell his people? He said, yeah, you can follow me, but you follow me because I follow Christ. Are you pointing people in the right direction as you deal with stuff? Are you applying the, the actual wisdom? Are you actually applying the knowledge to your real life situation? How can these treasures be yours? Paul says through a personal relationship with Christ. We, we stopped on, on verse 7 because I don't want to go any further. Like I want to make sure we, we get that all wisdom, all knowledge is not in Jesus or is in Jesus, not from Jesus. You understand the difference? Like we're not looking to obtain something from him. We're getting it in him while, while we're with him. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else than Jesus. He alone is sufficient. It's the theme of the entire letter he's writing. So there's no hidden spiritual knowledge that needs to be added to salvation, to sanctification or anything else outside of Christ. That knowledge is so crucial to the assurance because of the doubts the world puts around us. Christ's sufficiency brings doubt. If, we have, if you have those doubts and Christ's sufficiency, that brings doubts about his ability to do what he promised. Right? If you end up developing a doubt in a person, right? Then that means you're going to worry if they're going to do the job they said they're going to do. If they're going to keep their word. If they're going to keep their promise. If they're going to fulfill their mission. Is it no different than with Jesus? If we've got a doubt in any of the promises he gave us, any of the treasures that are in there, then what are we, we're going to doubt his ability to what? Pay for our salvation, prepare us a kingdom, get us through certain stuff, make us last through certain issues. There's a, a story told of William Hurst. And uh, he was looking in this famous artwork book and he's going on and on through all these pictures and finally he finds this one. And as, as some of his workers, he says, they, they, they wrote it down uh, on the day. He said, I want this picture no matter what. So, of course, when you're that kind of guy and you have that kind of mentality around you, like they, they started looking. And they started digging and they came back and they said, man, we just can't find this, this picture anywhere in the world that you saw in this book that you want to buy. Hearst says this, if you value your jobs, you'll do whatever it takes to find that treasure. And I don't care what the cost is. I will pay whatever it is whenever you find it. Three and a half months go by. These guys are out searching. They're traveling all over. They're looking, they're, you know, doing everything they can to find this thing. And they finally return to Hearst. His first question, as soon as they back back in the office, is, did you find my treasure? Yes. After much searching and painstaking research, we found it. Well, good. Did you purchase it? How much did it cost me? No, we didn't. Hearst is furious. He says, what do you mean you didn't purchase it? I told you if you valued your jobs, you would find this picture. I told you no matter what the cost was, I would write a check for it. Sir, we found it in one of your warehouses. Hmm. Now, the, the illustration makes sense to us, but how many of us put Christ in a warehouse? How many of us are out searching for something more to make us happy 
when we got the very thing we were supposed to already be using stored up in a warehouse somewhere? Huh? If you have Christ, you have all the wisdom and knowledge. That's what Paul's writing. You'll ever need in life to be successful. When you got him, you got it all. Do we understand that? It blows my mind how often people get on fire for Christ. You know, that moment of salvation or whatever we want to call it. And then six months later, they're out searching for something else to make them happy again. Are you saying Christ wasn't enough then? Are you saying he wasn't sufficient? Are you saying you need to earn something on your own? what, what, What are you saying when you're out searching for something else when you already have Christ? It's what the people of Colossae were getting in trouble for. They had Christ. It was preached to them and they were growing in it. Yet the outside forces were coming in there and be like, well, you got Christ, but you also need to add this to it. You also need to do this to it. You also need to change this. And you also need to start practicing this. Most of our problems we face, they, they relate back to, to a lack of understanding of Christ. We don't understand fully what Christ did. We don't understand fully what Christ means for us. We don't understand fully what, what's available to us through him. Everything you ever need, ever want, ever desire is in Christ. All of it. You don't need anything else. If we read God's word hurriedly, is that a word? If we read it too fast, huh? Y'all got an uneducated fellow up here speaking. That's bad news, right? If we read God's word in a hurry or carelessly, we're going to miss out on some of the deepest insights Christ has for us. You realize that the greatest thing you can do is read it slow. I, I seriously, as much as y'all, well, as much as I pick on myself about lack of, I think that's why I get so much stuff out of scripture because I got to read it slow. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, I, I'm not educated enough to read fat. Like my wife, man, she'll cover like law books like that big and like one set, and I'm like, hold on, baby, you got to go back to case number one. I'm still thinking on on the first word you said of the first case like four days ago. Like we, we got to go back here. Like I. I have to read slow. Like I've got to meditate on it so that I get it. I've got to, I've got to go back into other books and grab the, the original Greek and the original Hebrew and, and try to get a better understanding of it. Are you meditating on God's word that way? If not, maybe that's why you're missing out on so much stuff. Maybe that's why you're missing out on his treasure. Maybe that's why you're missing out on his understanding. Maybe it's why you have no knowledge and understanding. And you ain't got no knowledge and you ain't got no understanding. Well, then you can't have wisdom because you can't apply what you don't know. Right? Look at this last section, four and five. How God stabilizes this whole thing. Look at four. Four is a warning, by the way, against the mix of this this Christian thought that's coming in. Look at what he says. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive speech. Y'all ever talk to somebody who's just really persuasive in the way they speak? Like they'll make you second guess some stuff. Paul's saying if you if you have full knowledge and wisdom of Christ, it's probably the only thing that will keep you from being deceived from fine sounding arguments or persuasive speech. Right. He's saying if you have the knowledge, then when somebody comes against you with untruth. Then you're able to understand it and see it. Right. The error sometimes is, is one of two things. One, we either don't know the truth well enough to, to be ready to go to it or two. We're so easily enticed by things that aren't the truth. We get, as he say in some translations, I think some of your translations have, you get sucked in by enticing words. In this case, it was cults and, and dead end pursuits of other spiritualities and, and all this stuff. And they're saying, add this, add this. And Paul says, no, don't add nothing to Christ. You be steadfast in your pursuit of Christ 
of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in him. It's no different than like the, the clown that lost his keys. Y'all heard about that guy? So, so the clown had lost his keys and, you know, he, he's doing this thing and he's, and he's looking for his keys intently. You know, all over the place, just digging everything. And, and a police officer walks up. He says, hey, uh, hey, what, did you lose something? He says, yeah, yeah, I lost my keys and I need help, you know, trying to find them or whatever. So they both start looking. They're looking all over. He said, what kind of key is he? He goes, it's my house key. And, and they're going and the police is searching with him and he's, he's doing all this stuff. And finally the cop looks at him and says, man, are, are you sure? Like, this is where you lost it. And the clown says, no, I lost it over there. So the cop looks at him and says, what do you mean you lost it over there? Like, what are you doing then? He goes, oh, well, this is the only spot that has some light on it. So I was looking here. <laughs> did we not do the same thing, man? Because there's no light somewhere, we quit looking? Huh? Because, because there's nothing there we quit doing? We go to whatever promise of light is available? The shiny, sparkly thing? Huh? I thought about it. Ray was hanging some lights at the shop and we, we were joking about, man, I want a big old chandelier just drop down in the middle and spin that bad boy. So it just, you know, it just sparkles everywhere. I'd be the only thing sparkling in that shop. But, <laughs> but, but it's an attention getter, right? Do we not do the same thing when we're looking for something? We go to where the sparkle is. We go to where the light is. We go to what entices us. It's probably the problem why so many churches now are full of so much crap. Because we've got so focused on cutting on a smoke machine and a glistening light that we forgot about actually digging into the treasure chest before we even got to the real stuff. Are we getting enticed by stuff that sounds good or by stuff that is good? Right? Same thing with music. huh? Are we not willing to change the way we sing stuff and how we sing stuff because it makes us feel better? Right? And when's the last time you actually checked out some of the songs, which I can, I'm very proud to say, I assure you, Carla checks all of them every week. But when's the last time you yourself checked out a song and saw if it lined up with Scripture? Maybe when you were singing on the Internet or uh, well, the Internet or radio, whatever. Right. Think about it. When's the last time you heard it and you're like, oh, man, that is some good stuff. And something in your brain said, well, let's check and make sure it actually is good. I hear a lot of stuff that sounds good. I hear a lot of sermons that sound good. I give a, give a fair warning. Like it, you got to be careful. I've realized how careful I, I hate even recommending listening to sermons anymore because I've learned in the last years by listening to so many sermons, how much junk is out there. Like I listen cause I want to get more, but then as I listen, I got little red flags going off and I'm like that, that don't line up that, mm, that ain't right. You know, so, but if you don't have the ability for the red flags, how dangerous is that? Cause is it not going to lead you to the glistening light rather than where the key of treasure is? Huh? If what you're listening to, what you're doing, what you're applying, what you're singing doesn't line up with God's word, get rid of it. You guys would have saved yourself, myself included. We would have all saved ourselves so much grief, heartache and misery in life if we would have started lining stuff up with this word a lot sooner. I'm serious. Relationships that you were in or shouldn't have been in or should have got out of a long time ago. Jobs. Where you live. Do you care enough about what Christ wants where you pray about every decision before you make it? I mean every decision. Right? It's crazy. It's wild, man. All right, get back to this thing. Where were we at? The clowns, right? I do want to jump to verse 8 real quick just because it lines up right here where we're at. Now, verse 8 is next week, yes. So you get a little enticer. So Paul warns them. Verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Traditions will get you in a heap of trouble, by the way. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. 
our generation, the world we live in is flooded, flooded with persuasiveness. And the number one medium, and that's what they call it, the medium, and the number one medium then is television. You turn on television, you get enticed on what kind of deodorant to buy, what kind of toothpaste to buy, and then five seconds later, you're enticed on what kind of car and what kind of house to buy. Right? I mean, it covers everything. And then we've got these principles that go throughout life that tell us what? Well, if it feels good, it must be good. If it feels good, do it. Or, or you're number one, what matters to you? No, you are not number one, I hate to tell you. Right? If you came to church wanting to hear you were number one, bubble popper, you are not number one. Right? Leave feeling depressed because you ain't it. All right? You might think you ain't. You might think the world revolves around you and all that other junk. I'm here to tell you, if you get nothing else today, the world does not revolve around you. You ain't it. Christ is it. Now, if you got Christ inside you, well, then maybe like a little bit of the world revolves around you, right? But it's revolving around him that's in you. Get that, man. Like we, we, We've just been falling into the, the trap of all this stuff in our world through all the persuasiveness or, or persuading talk, as Paul calls it, that, that we quit looking. Paul is saying there's no need to look beyond Christ. He's enough. Look at verse five. Paul rejoices. Here, here's what you got to love, man. Somebody who's cracking down on some hard stuff. But yet he still sees some good stuff, right? Because verse 5, it says, Even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit. Which, by the way, Paul wrote this same kind of phrase to the Corinthians. So Paul loved being united with people in the spirit. Right? I think I told you guys a couple weeks before Mauricio came, like I knew before I ever met him in person, like there was going to be this connection. I didn't know we worked at a tire store. I didn't, like God just had stitched us together and he's more spiritual now than I thought he was because of that stuff. Right? So he's a good guy. Don't wow me. <laughs> but think about it, though. Seriously, have you, you ever like met people like that you've heard about for long periods of time? And then like when you finally meet them, like there really is. Or maybe it's the opposite. One of two ways. Either there really is that connection instantly or it's the opposite. And there's that much repelling instantly. Be glad you've got that kind of discernment spirit inside of you. Right. Because there's certain people we should unite with instantly. Because we're united by Christ, we're, we're drawn together through the, the ligaments, we're knit together, knit together to, through love. And there's certain groups that we shouldn't be knit together with. Right? You gotta amputate that thing and get rid of it. Verse five, even though I'm absent with you guys, I mean, I'm physically absent with you guys, I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing, so Paul's happy again, to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Man, I love it, right? Because Paul's now switching over to some military terms. He's saying, I, I've been absent physically. But I want to commend you guys on how some of your translations say orderly or how firm. Either way, all of it translates into steadfast, solid, or stable. You guys are in Christ. Like a well-disciplined band of soldiers, you're growing strong and wise in your faith because you have an unshakable reliance on Christ. Now, Paul's given the warnings. We just read it in verse 4, right? But at the same time, he's telling them, like, you guys have been doing great. Just don't stumble. Sometimes we need to tell some of our brothers and sisters, and sometimes we need to look in the mirror and tell ourselves, you've been doing pretty good, but beware. Beware. There's other stuff out there. There's outside forces trying to interrupt what you got, right? You know, deception, I didn't know this. Some of you guys, may, Danny's probably the only person who may know this. Deception has always been like military strategy. Everybody knows that part. But did you guys know in World War II in North Africa against the Germans, the, uh, the British literally had like era poster board tanks and planes? Oh, you guys knew that? Oh, well. Once again, I'm the uneducated one in the room, so thank you. Holy section. 
Forgot how awesome you guys are. Maybe you should preach the rest of this. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, you guys are unholy because y'all didn't know. Right? I had no idea about that. They got literally inflatable tanks and poster board. Giant tanks and airplanes, so that when the Germans are flying over and checking stuff out, they're like, oh, they got a lot of people there. We don't need to go there. They were so smooth, though, it goes further. Not just that. You know how easy it is to move a poster board in an inflatable tank? Oh, yeah. So they would then move it like a couple miles down and set it all up again. So the Germans would fly over and be like, they got a lot of people there, too. And they would keep doing this thing, and it would keep working. Why? Because deception has always been a military strategy. Who do you think is the greatest deceiver? Satan. Amen. Satan. Jesus referred to him as what? Ruler of this world. What is this world? This world is deceiving. Is it not? Is it not easy to get enticed by the things of this world? You you understand? Like It's huge, right? He's a master deceiver. He's the driving force behind the false leaders and teachers that were persuading these Colossians to, to get away from truth. It's the same thing for us today. Followers of Christ today, we fight a very similar battle against deceivers. And if we're not aware of the truth, if we're not grounded in the treasures of his word, we're not going to know what to do when we get bombarded with outside forces. So Paul tells me, he goes, guys, I want you to know, like, I'm commending you for your good order, for being, here's what good order means in, in, in the original, right? Being battle ready. That's pretty cool, right? I want you guys to know that you guys are battle ready. Because you know what happens if you're not battle ready and an enemy comes? You get knocked off your high horse, right? Second, he spoke of steadfastness. The steadfastness of the faith in Christ, which what? He's saying you guys got a solid front. You're not going to be fooled by Satan's lies because, because you're ready. And write, write, if you write nothing else down, write this down, add it to your notes for today, right? God's truth is the best protection against Satan's lies. God's truth is the best protection against all of Satan's lies. How many of you thought you could lose weight? No, I didn't tell you. Hold on. I, you guys misunderstood the question. My favorite thing is somebody over there who weighs like 45 pounds is raising their hand. <laughs> I know I can do it, Pastor. I know I can lose the last five pounds. Let me do it. <laughs> Put your hand down. You ain't losing no weight. You're gaining weight. Right? <laughs> my pops is down to only 10 pounds heavier than me. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that hurts my pride a lot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've been telling my wife for six months, I probably need to start running. Guess who's going to really start running now? <laughs> he might get smaller than me, and that's scary, right? Right? That's crazy. He put his mind to it. How many of us put our mind to doing something like that? A lot. Try, right? Do we not? Well, maybe you guys don't. Here, here it is. Last year, $4.8 billion were spent on treadmills and weight machines. Now, here's my question. I don't know for sure. How many of them just sit and gather dust every day? $4.8 billion. So they had the money. They spent the money. They invested in it. They bought it. But they ain't losing their weight. You want to know what the number... This is, this is true now. I'm being dead serious. You apply, I'm about to apply this spiritually, but you can apply it to your weight loss too if you want. You want to know the number one thing that everybody who succeeded at weight loss actually had on their list? This is a simple thing. You don't even have to buy it. Well, I hope you don't have to buy it. That'd be sad if you had to buy it. What is it? No, no. That was on some list, though. Oh, you guys are thinking way too hard. Walk, eat water, pastor, drink. Don't eat it all. No, they just got a workout partner. Literally, every list of a successful person had on it. I got me a workout partner. Why? Why does that make you successful? 
Accountability. Now you got somebody that can encourage you. Now you got somebody that can push you. Right? Now you got now you gotta get you a you gotta get you a committed workout partner. Maybe we should add that. Right? You get a workout partner who likes donuts and coffee, well <laughs> we're just gonna go home and watch TV on the couch. So me and Cliff cannot be workout partners. It ain't gonna work. I need one of y'all like marathon runners that like just take off forever and no, I don't need that either, because if you get too far ahead of me, I'm going back home. <laughs> I got some Atlas stones and some kegs, not those kind of kegs, calm down church, but I got kegs full of sand and, uh, and, and magnesium. I'll go back and pick things up and put things down, right? Does the same principle not work when we're talking spiritually? Don't we need some spiritual workout partners? Don't we need somebody who, what Paul say at the beginning? Somebody who's going to encourage us. Somebody who's going to be knit together with us in love and somebody who's going to give us the assurance of the knowledge and wisdom. So not only learning it, but applying it. They go together. Right? But yet, how often do we come to church, maybe even come into the build, maybe enjoy the service, whatever, and we race out of here as fast as we can without ever getting to know anybody else? How often do we come only on a Sunday and not on a Wednesday to get any deeper, right? You realize sometimes your greatest struggles come because you got nobody to rely on when trouble comes? Huh? I knew it was bad. Saturday morning at 2 a.m. when my cousin pulls down the driveway and is beating on my door. But I was so honored that he knew what door to come knock on at 2 a.m. Right? You got anybody who's going to come knock on your door at 2 a.m.? Do you know whose door you can go knock on at 2 a.m.? And you can knock on mine, but I don't mean just me. I mean find you a good workout partner, man. Right? We got to get knit together in love so that there's encouragement and assurance that comes through that. Paul writes, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding. I really like that translation, but I forgot to write down which one it was, so I apologize. Right? I want their hearts to be encouraged, joined together in love so that they may have what? All the riches of assured understanding. What if we went back to like being little kids again where the pirate treasure enticed us except for this was the pirate treasure? You remember like when you were a little kid, man? I remember our kids, they would, they would like bring Crystal a map and be like, hey, will you, will you draw us a map to where the treasure is? And they would spend time like trying to find whatever treasure, which wasn't a treasure most likely, that we had hid somewhere through this map. And then I got corrupt halfway through and moved the treasure after Crystal marked it. I don't even know if they know that. So they couldn't find it by the X that marked the spot. Rest assured, church, the Lord will not move the X. Believers have always grown stronger together in groups. That's why Paul talks about unity so much in all his letters. We get firmer in our faith. We, we, we can share our questions. We can share our struggles. We can build friendships. We can help each other through life's journey. And Paul is saying, guys, if you guys are going to be ready for what's coming against you, this is the way to solve it. This is the way to, to contend and to hold forth and to grab a hold of the mystery of life. It, it's not in a, in a philosophy. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. He's enough. This argument, right? So that you can stand against those who will try to give you away in persuasive words. Verse 4. The mystery of life is Christ Jesus. The treasure, eternal treasure, is found in Christ. Stop looking for other stuff. Yes. In Him is everything you need. 
If you've been in church your whole life in the day, you're thinking, man, I've been looking for more and looking for more and searching for more. Stop looking. You got him. Go back to your warehouse where you put him. When you thought he was the greatest thing ever and you hadn't looked at him. You know, that's what breaks my heart about this guy. That was a true story, by the way, with Hearst. Could you imagine having what you thought was the prettiest picture in the world twice? That means the first time he looked at it, he thought it was the greatest thing ever because he bought it. And years later, he saw it again and was like, that really is the most beautiful thing ever. I want it again. Could you imagine seeing the same thing in both times it appearing and through your vision and through your heart as the most beautiful thing ever? And yet you already had it? And it wasn't enough? Or you didn't let it be enough? Maybe that's the way of saying it. You know what I bet happened? He put it in the warehouse and he quit looking at it. That's what happened. He put it in the warehouse and he quit looking at it. If he'd have hung it in his living room, if he'd have hung it in his office where he saw it every day, that beauty would have kept him trapped, I think. Why do you have Jesus sitting in the back room when he's supposed to be in the center room? If you take your eyes off of him, you're going to be deceived by the enemy. He's everything you need. It's all in him. But yet too often, what do we do? We want to rely on ourselves to get through stuff. We want to rely on our own decisions. We want to take control back. We want to seek things to fulfill us. And Christ is no longer our focal point. And when he's no longer our focal point, we're no longer complete in him. But he loves you so much. You realize he's willing to draw you back. He's willing to take you back. He's willing to have you back. The question then is, where is he at right now? I know we're in a church full of people who most likely believe. But where's he at? Is he just an idea? Is it just some memorized verses? Or has life hit you hard enough in the last six months where you're relying on him? Where you need him? Where you're crying out to him? Are you in tune with the people around you so much? Are the people not around you? People you hadn't even seen. Are you in tune enough with them to know that they're hurting so you agonize for them in prayer? Maybe today wasn't even about you understanding Christ is number one in your life because he is number one in your life. And that's great. But you know what comes right after that if he is number one in your life? Other people. Because if he's number one in your life, doesn't that mean you've got to love what he loves? And does he not love other people? Is he not crazy about other people? What does he see them as? He sees most of them as potential. Not problems. He sees most of them as an opportunity, not as something to be neglected. So if you're here today and you're like, man, this pastor's just preaching stuff, I already know I know Christ is number one in my life. Well, let me ask you, are other people number two? Are you agonizing in prayer for other people? Are you desperately hoping somebody else gets what you got? Are you advertising enough where they see you and by seeing you, they see Christ? Is it the mystery that the world's looking at through you? If not, well, maybe that's what you need to change. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for, for good words that Paul wrote, Lord God, but for maybe some hard truths. I pray, Lord God, it would not just be a letter that was written to a church 2,000 years ago, Lord God, but it would be something that penetrates our heart today. God, I thank you that your word is living and active. And it is as relevant right now, Lord God, in our lives as it was when you wrote it through Paul, Lord God, years ago to a church that was being enticed by persuasive speeches. Lord, make us strong. Make us steadfast. Let us be battle ready. And let us do so, Lord God, 
through the assurance that you and you alone is enough. Lord, if there's somebody in this room, Lord God, that was trying to add to you, Lord God, take whatever they've been adding away. God, if there's somebody in this room that didn't know you were enough, Lord God, shine brighter, Lord God, sparkle. Brighter than whatever the enticing stuff outside this world shines. Father God, I just thank you that you shine through your people and that we get the ability to grow closer in our relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In your great holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.